We're in James chapter 5 this morning, if you want to open up your Bibles to that place. And in James chapter 5, James isn't very impressed with rich people. And you get the impression that rich people are not very impressed with James either. You know, we have a real problem in evaluating things correctly today because of our point of view. And we've noticed how the point of view is getting so polarized that there are people on one side who believe one set of things to be true. And there's another group of people over here who believe an opposite to what this group over here believes. And there's, there's no communication. And this one side can go rah, rah, rah. And this other side goes rah, rah, rah back. And they blowtorch each other. But the real question is, is who is right? Now, the rich and the powerful, and maybe some Christians, would say that James is crazy for his take on riches and wealth. He's got his values all mixed up. And then you got James on the other side going, you rich, Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Who's right? And the answer is it depends upon your point of view. That's your point of view is how you consider everything and evaluate everything and make decisions. Some people call it a grid, a frame of reference. We're going to call it point of view today. And what James is going to say here, he's going to command us to be patient and to strengthen our hearts, to wait and suffer patiently because James has a point of view where he sees Jesus coming. And he wants us to have that same point of view. So I'm reading in John, James chapter 5 here. He says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it, until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He says, now come now, you rich. We've got to define who the rich are. And... They're the ones who abuse the gifts that God gives them. You have to say right off the bat, it is not a sin to be wealthy. Did everybody know that? Not automatically a sin because wealth is a gift of God. And he even gives the power to make wealth. 
It's in Deuteronomy chapter 8, where God is warning the Israelites, and he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then Moses says a little further on, Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, that is, is this day. That's Deuteronomy 8. He says, you know, God's going to give you good things. So watch out that you don't say, well, I did this, so I can do anything I want to with this, and you forget God. He says, no. God gives you the power to make wealth. And people will point out, a lot of God's saints in the Bible were very wealthy. Job, I think he was the richest man in the East. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon. Okay? Lots of dough. Lots of do-re-mi. Fa-so-la-ti-do. So, okay, God blessed them. Now, wealth is a gift of God. And God's gifts are good. Everything that God makes is good. You know why? Everything that God does is because His loving kindness is everlasting. And it says in Psalm 136 that He made the earth, the heavens, everything that's in it, because His loving kindness is everlasting. So not only is God wise, powerful, all-knowing, but everything he does, he does in love. That's why all of his gifts are good. Imagine if God didn't love, and he was just smart and powerful. Not everything he would make would be good. Maybe none of it would be good, but because God is good because he loves, because that is everlasting. Everything he makes is good. So, you know, it's what people do with the good gifts of God that is wrong. See, they don't use the gift of wealth the way God intended, but they use it badly. And they use the gifts of God in a way that curses them, not blesses them. Isn't that ironic? Now, James shows how the rich abuse the good gifts of God. The rich put their trust in wealth rather than God. Now, Paul tells Timothy the right use of riches in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. He says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. See, that's the right use of riches is to do good works with it. 
And you don't lay it up where moth and rust and thieves can get at it, but you lay it up in heaven. That is, you use it to do good with. But the abuse of wealth is to trust in it like it was God. Now, God is eternal, and he doesn't change. That's why God is worthy to be trusted. You can trust your life with God because he's never going to change. You know that, that verse about... Um, His mercies are new every morning. Do you know where that's found? Lamentations chapter 3, the very middle of this book about God punishing Israel. And right in the middle of all this horrendous judgment is this, well, let's keep trusting in the Lord because he doesn't change. Therefore, we're not consumed. See, his mercies don't change. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He doesn't change. Therefore, like Charles Spurgeon said, you can swing out over hell on a corn stalk, spit the devil in the eye and say, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Because God doesn't change. But money can change, my friends. Just witness what happened with this GameStop Reddit fiasco on the, on the stock market in the United States. Hedge fund traders are doing their thing and they borrow a bunch of shares and they sell them. And the idea is wait till the stocks go down, buy them back, give them back to the broker, and then you pocket the difference. But these day traders on this Reddit app, they say, well, let's, let's do something nasty. And they buy a bunch of shares of GameStop and they run the price way up so when the hedge fund traders have to buy the shares back, they're out billions. And the guys that read it thought this was funny. So these hedge fund traders assume that business is normal. Monday morning, I've lost billions. What? Billions. That's why there's an old blues song phrase, and that is, the eagle flies on Friday. The eagle is what's on the back of a U.S. silver dollar. And you get paid on Friday. But then all your money goes out because you spend it on beer and drink and stuff. So your eagle just flew away on Friday. That's why it's a blues song. <laughs> so the eagle flies on Friday. I just got paid. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, wealth is just absolutely uncertain. It's there one minute, it's gone the next. So when you trust in wealth, it's the wrong use of money. And it abuses a gift of God. So the rich put their trust in money and they abuse the power that money brings. We've already seen this in James chapter 2, where he says, isn't the rich the guys that drag you into court and oppress you? See, they got money to do the legal process, whereas poor people can't even afford a lawyer. So the rich say, I'm going to get my way. I'm going to do it legally. I'm going to pay off the judge, get my decision. Boom, I'm going to do what I want. And that's what he's talking about here in chapter 5. He says, The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. Now, why would you take advantage of the people who are actually working to make you rich? Don't you think that's ironic? These are the guys that are accumulating wealth for me. 
Why wouldn't you treat them right? But you know, when you trust in wealth, if you trust in anything besides God, did you know that you don't get confidence? You get fear. Because it's not God, because the rich know that riches aren't forever. And so there's a big fear of losing it. And if I give any to anybody else, that means less for me. So that's why employers are against employees. And how come employees have to combine into unions so they have some power to talk back to employers? And there's a conflict. The relationships are always on edge and they're ready to blow up at any time. Because when the rich put their trust in wealth like it was God, they're afraid. And so they do a bunch of things that aren't right, like keep back the wages. And they can get away with it because they're abusing their power. But then another way that the rich abuse the gift of God is to indulge in luxury, like it says in verse 5. Now, when you indulge in something, it means you give yourself to that thing without limits. In my household, we talk about binge reading a comic on web webtoons. That is, you read about three or four years worth of comics in like one sitting. Hundreds and hundreds of episodes, just <laughs> And you know, you are the slave of webtoons when you do that. You don't stop to eat, you don't even go to the bathroom. Webtoons controls you. And it's like that when you indulge in luxury. You give yourself to this thing, it becomes the master. That's why there are alcoholics. That's why there are drug addicts. That's why there are sex addicts who cannot say no. Because when you yield yourself to something as slaves for obedience, you become the slave of that thing. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. And so the rich, the powerful, they have the money to indulge their whims, and they do it. They live in fabulous luxury. But then they have given themselves over to that which actually brings death. You know, when you trust in God and depend upon Him, you receive life. And anything else that you give yourself to takes life. That's the problem with trusting in anything else and giving yourself to anything else but God. Ultimately, it doesn't fulfill its promise. And everything that God has made is either a good servant or a bad master. Now, the rich abuse the gift of God to silence the righteous. In verse 6, you have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Now, the rich are those who say, I don't want to hear anything about Jesus. I don't believe in that stuff. I don't want to hear it. And so they will go as far as to persecute and kill. And you know why? Because they kind of get the idea, they know kind of naturally, that the gospel is going to undo their situation. It's going to blow up the gravy train. Because Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. One or the other, but not both. That isn't going to work. 
And God, if you obey him, he's going to have his way with anything else that is trying to be an authority in your life. He will not permit it. He'll step all over it. And there goes the wealth. Right? So smelling the danger, you want to stay away from Jesus. And that's ironic, isn't it? The sign of the cross is not going to work on this one, boys. Don't want to hear that Jesus stuff because I smell the end of my fabulous life right here. Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. So it is farewell to luxury if you're going to follow Jesus. Did you know that this morning? You thought it was going to be comfortable coming to church. Sit back, listen to all what's-his-face talking. What? The end of luxury? See, when wealth is the master, wealth fears the messenger, and wealth kills the messenger. Every gift of God is either a good servant or a bad master. And do you notice that James is trying to warn the rich of what's going to happen to him? He's talking straight to him, right? The judgment of God is coming. He says to the rich, weep and howl for these miseries that are coming upon you. You know, that's unthinkable right now, isn't it? The rich? Going to have a bad day? Seriously? Can you imagine Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, weeping and howling? Watch the video on YouTube. He says, those days are coming. Everything now is power, pleasure, security, and fun. But the blessings are temporary. They can't last. So these miseries that are coming are eternal and permanent. And nothing can stop them from coming. Riches are going to rot. Clothing is going to be moth-eaten. You know that everything decays with time, and even gold is going to become worthless. That's what it says in Isaiah 2. Men will go into caves of the rocks and into holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble. In that day, men will cast away to the moles and the bats their idols of silver and gold, which they have made for themselves to worship, in order to go into the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the, the, of the cliffs before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble. And we see this very thing happen in Revelation chapter 6. It says, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. The whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, and they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For their great day of wrath has come and who is able to stand? Can you imagine offering one of these guys a bar of gold and saying, well, this will comfort you. 
just hang on to this for a while. He says, I'm trying to find a place that's not shaking. My concrete bunker isn't working. And God is coming for me. God is coming for me and I can't get away from him. It's that ultimate dream you have when you're asleep and the giant is after you and you can't even move and he's gaining on you. Well, some people are going to live it out. The earth is shaking. Nothing can stop it. And here comes God. And we're not friends, him and me. It says in Proverbs 11, verse 4, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You know, it's not going to make any difference how much money you have. But it does matter if you have righteousness. If you are on right terms with God. Now James says the rust is evidence against you that you trusted in your riches and you were not rich toward God. See, these are the last days before judgment. God is going to judge the earth. And his measuring rod is Jesus. You know that scene in Mary Poppins where she takes out her little tape measure and she's going to measure everybody? Here's what Jane is. Here's what Michael is. Well, measure yourself, Mary Poppins. Fine, I will. Look what it says, Mary Poppins. Practically perfect in every way. Mm. Mary Poppins is really snarky. Well, we're not going to be measured by Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins is going to be measured by Jesus. How's she going to come up? How are you going to come up? There's something concrete. Everybody thinks, oh, I'm going to make it in the judgment. I'm pretty good. Well, are you better than Jesus? Well, that's not fair. But that's the standard. Well, that changes things. So the wages of sin is eternal punishment away from the presence of God and his holy angels. And James says, there in verse 5 again, that you're actually preparing yourselves for judgment, you rich, just like animals. You know, fattening up. Eat all this great food. Life is fabulous. But guess what? At the end of it all, you're going to be slaughtered, and you're not even aware of that. You're basically your whole rich, indulgent, powerful lifestyle is just ripening you for judgment. And it's crazy because the rich aren't even listening to James. When would they ever hear James? talking straight to them. Would you find the rich in a church somewhere by accident? Okay, well, do you think the rich would pull the Bible off their shelf and it would just sort of open up to James chapter 5 and they go, Honey, come here and read this. We're, we're in trouble. We're rich. I didn't even know. Do you think that's going to happen? So don't you think it's kind of ironic that James is out there yelling at the top of his voice at the rich, that their miseries are coming upon them, they're fattening themselves for slaughter, and they're not even listening? So why is James going off like this? Because he's warning them for our sake, because we're listening to James yelling at the rich and the rich not listening, but we're listening. And James wants us to have his point of view. He wants us to look at things the way he's looking at it. And the point of view of the rich is this is all there is. This life is it. 
whatever you do, you got to do it in this life because this is all there is. And you only go around once in life. So you got to grab for the gusto now because once you go, you go. So this is it. And that's all that the rich see. So you forget about everybody else and just glut in pleasure because that's it. Now, James has a different point of view. And his view is Jesus. And he's in a funny position because he grew up with Jesus. Jesus was always his older brother. That's all he's ever known. And so he saw him up close. Now, Jesus was perfect, and James was not. Don't you think that bugged him? How come Jesus never gets yelled at? How come I get yelled at? I have never seen him spanked, not even once. <laughs> Does mom like him better? What is the deal with, well, he is right, but I mean, so what? And then Jesus starts teaching that he is the Messiah of God, and James didn't believe him. He says, he's okay, but he's got delusions of godhood or something. Who does he think he is? And then you know what? James saw Jesus crucified. His mom was there. And you know, James was in that upper room when the Holy Spirit came down. Do you know that Jesus appeared to James personally? So Jesus, James saw Jesus raised from the dead. He was there when the Holy Spirit came down. James, his point of view includes Jesus. That's his perspective. And that's how he considers and evaluates everything is in terms of Jesus. And that's why James can look at the rich and not be intimidated by them, not be afraid of them, not feel like he has to do what they want. He's not manipulated by the rich. From his point of view, these guys are less than dust on the scales. They don't even weigh anything. They're dropping the bucket. He looks at these guys and he says, you poor guys. And he means it. So you're going to lose your wealth in which you trust. You're going to lose your own soul. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? So from James's point of view, his commands are completely reasonable. So he says in verse 7, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Do you know that the coming of Jesus is a part of the gospel? an integral part. It's not like an add-on, like Jesus quite didn't finish everything, but he's coming back to finish it up. Just kind of like the tradesman that can't get it all right on Friday, but I'll be back on Monday, but he never shows up. He was going to fix that. Where is he? It's Tuesday. And that's kind of what people are, are thinking like, you know. Where is he? But see, the whole reason that Jesus came to earth the first time was to lay the foundation for his coming again. Now, he's still working and building his church right now today. But his return is the big thing. 
It's the whole point in his coming in the first place. See, he's going to come to save the Jewish nation. He's going to destroy all evil. He will judge. He will rule forever. And James compares it to being a farmer. Now, you know, a, a farmer has to plow and sow seed and cultivate, get rid of the weeds and everything. But the whole reason why he has done all those things is there's an end in sight. There's a harvest coming. That's the big thing. He's not a big fan of all the other stuff. And that's not the big thing. You know, like, you like plowing? Why? Farming is just the profession for you. Yeah, I've always wanted to plow. I'm kind of a plowy guy. When I was a kid, I had a little plow. Nope. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about the harvest. That's why the farmer does what he does. And, you know, the, the harvest is going to happen because it has to. When you plant and cultivate, it grows. It's going to come because you did that. You started it. It's going to come up. So see, it's inevitable. Now you know, he says be patient. That means we're going to have to suffer. Because you only have to be patient when you're suffering. You don't have to be patient when you're reading webtoons and binging. But you do have to be patient when you're a farmer. And that's the hard part. You gotta wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And you think, this is taking a long time. Not only that, while you're waiting, you're actually doing good with the money that you have. That's part of it. You're investing, you're laying it up in heaven, and you're patiently doing this, even though you might think, well, I would like to just blow my money and indulge in luxury. What little I have. Right now we're suffering because God, our Father, is disciplining us to share His holiness, and it means it hurts. And the devil's always there to tell you, you can quit anytime you want, and the pressure is gone. You can have a nice, easy life, and no pressure, no suffering. All you got to do is just back off on Jesus a little. And that turns into a whole lot, and then you just have a nice, easy life. So, you know, right now, we're suffering, and God is disciplining us, and He's going to make everything work out together for good, but in the meantime, He's humbling us, and our jobs are blowing up, and we aren't making that much money, and sometimes we get sick, sometimes we have chronic health problems that are not going away. And we end up looking to God and saying, God, you got to provide for me. You got to pay my bills. You got to keep me going. I'm in a pandemic and I can't work. Now, some people will look at us and say, You are crazy. To expect that God is going to provide for you in a pandemic. And we might look at the rich who are still indulging themselves in whatever they want to do, and we might envy them and say, man, they got it easy. They actually despise us because we're not running out with them in their excess and riot and indulge ourselves in wanton pleasure. And we might say, you know what? I am missing out. I 
picked up a magazine one time while I was waiting in St. Peter's Hospital. And I was just flipping through it. And it was kind of a worthless magazine. I, wrote, I, I, I read an article, a guy writing to his younger self. And he says, whatever you do, make sure you get more sex. Because at this time in my life, I really regret not getting more sex. So that's what he's telling his younger self. Make sure you get lots of sex. So you can say, well, why do I keep myself sexually pure? Why do I deny myself? Why do I walk such a straight line and say no to myself all the time? Is it really worth it? See, the possibility is, is that we can adopt somebody else's point of view that does not include Jesus. They're not looking at him at all. And so they're looking right like this. And that excludes heaven and everything else. And they're just saying, this is it. If it doesn't come within this little narrow little pinhole, it doesn't exist. Well, James says, don't be envious of these pitiful, poor, rich guys. Be patient. Continue suffering calmly, enduring until the coming of the Lord. And the second command he has here is, in verse 8, establish your hearts. Establish your heart. Because Jesus is coming. And it means to establish your heart, to make your heart steadfast, unswerving. And it really is interesting, isn't it? You know that money is super changeable, undependable? So are our hearts. We're trusting in God one minute, and the next minute it's like Jesus who? Up down, we're extremely variable. Doesn't that get to you? Blown around. Trusting in Jesus one minute and trusting in money in the next, and my money isn't doing so good. My God could use a little help. A little help? Well, how you strengthen your heart is you strengthen it with looking at Jesus coming back in glory. See, Jesus came the first time as it is written. Where he would be born, when he would be born, how he would die, and how he would rise from the dead. And you know, his return is also carefully documented in both Old and New Testaments. It's all laid out. And you know, if the first part has been confirmed in detail, you know that all the rest of it must be confirmed. It must happen. It's going to happen. Now, you know, if you read these scriptures and you think about them and you get very familiar with them, then you will grasp them. Do you know that if you grasp it, you make it yours? See? But if you can't grasp it, it's really not yours. So as you become familiar with those scriptures and you write them on your heart by meditating on them, so your heart is going to be strong like James to say, you know what? I don't want to mess up my eternity. I'm not envious of these guys that are going to lose everything and their own soul. Do I want to end up like those guys? 
you know what? They're not listening, but I sure am. So, you know, Peter says, set all your hope on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Fix your hope on that. And you know, every hope in this present life is going to fail. Everything. The government is going to fail. Finances are going to fail. Everything is going to fail. But when you trust in Jesus, He will not fail. Because His coming is near. That's why we want to be patient. That's why we want to strengthen our hearts, because His coming is near. And I know that some people are saying, really? 2,000 years ago, James wrote that His coming is near? Are you kidding me? That is the wrong point of view. Because as Peter says in 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You know, we wouldn't even be having this conversation if Jesus came back like people figured near. We are like 18 centuries gone. We wouldn't exist. So you know the patience of the Lord is salvation. He waited till we were born so we could get saved. I think that's a fabulous deal. But then you know, His coming is always nearer than when we first believed. You know that we all look forward to the rapture? Did you know that not a single one of us is going to miss the rapture? You know, I think about Chuck Smith, the guy that I learned a lot from. He was a pastor, and he was always expecting to get raptured. And then he kind of realized, wow, I'm dying, and, well, I guess I'm not going to get raptured. Gee, I'm bummed about that. But he was wrong. He's going to get raptured first because the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we who are alive are going to rise and meet him. He's going to beat me. We all get raptured. But some of us are going to meet Jesus a little sooner, kind of like what Chuck did. So we're going to die. But guess what? We do not anticipate our death. Did you know that? I have caught myself anticipating my death, and it freaks me out. When you think about dying, do you say, oh, wow, can't wait. I'm going to die. I don't think so. You think more like, <laughs> where's my webtoons? Quick. But see, we don't anticipate our death. Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We anticipate being with the Lord. That's where you're headed if you believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus today? Are you trusting in Him? Well, you can anticipate being right in His presence. That kind of changes things, doesn't it? That's what we're looking forward to. Now, if you grasp that scripture, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Guess what? You will strengthen your heart. And death isn't going to move you. But if you don't think about that scripture, you're still going to be going, <laughs> and you're going to be scared to death. Did you know that the government cannot save you from dying? They're going to vaccinate you against COVID-19, but guess what? You're going to die of diabetes or a heart attack or dementia. But you may not die of COVID-19. That's for doggone sure. So you over there, stop that. 
Go ahead and die of a heart attack. That's right. No government is going to save our lives. Only Jesus can save our lives and save our souls. So we're not going to be manipulated, pushed around. So you know what? We're not going to envy the wicked. Those guys are due for such a rude shock. When Steve Jobs died, he left everything behind. You know, we envy these guys because we're not satisfied, and we're not satisfied because we have a weak grasp on our salvation. So we want to get the right point of view. Does everybody get this? So we're going to read our Bibles. This truth right here is more solid than the ground that you walk on. Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but not this word. How much can you write it on your heart? And if you keep writing it there, guess what? You're going to be satisfied by God, established by God. Nothing is going to move you. The coming of the Lord is near. That's what we're waiting for. And it has to happen because he promised and he cannot lie. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for truth. Thank you for perspective, for point of view. And we want our point of view to always include Jesus, who died for our sins, who rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven, who is coming again to judge the living and the dead and to rule and reign forever. Help us to strengthen our hearts, to be patient, to wait for your return. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.